Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. Today on the Future One podcast, we're speaking with Kfir Kahlon, who is a general partner at an early stage VC fund about tech, venture capital, and general trends in the financial industry today. All right, we're live. So we're here with Kafir Kahlon at A&D Ventures. Did I get that right? You got it right, yeah. Good. Um, so, you know, excited to have you here. You're all the way out from Israel. Um, and um, I just think there's a lot of great technology and uh, venture activity happening there. Um, mm-hmm. So before we get into all that and talk about the ecosystem, um, I'd love to learn about you and your, your partner and um, how you got started. Maybe talk about your career first and how you got into venture and then how you guys started A&D Ventures. Yeah, so maybe I'll, uh, I'll take us uh, further back why I'm even interested in tech, right? I mean, uh, in order to, I think in order to be a successful VC, you kind of need uh, to have a spark uh, we, from every entrepreneur that comes to you and speak to you about technology and about uh, uh, innovation and stuff like that. So uh, as a child, I was uh, maybe that generation that was lucky enough to be uh, between the highly sophisticated computers to the very dumb ones. So uh, we started, uh, you know, as children uh, gaming, you, we, you had to write uh, lines of code in DOS mm-hmm. Uh, in order to upload uh, a game and then uh, technology moved forward. So we as kids, we were the geeks at school. So we uh, were breaking down computers and waiting for the next uh, NVIDIA uh, or whatever uh, graphics uh, and uh, card to come out and bought it and bought a motherboard, put it all together, created a gaming computer. And and we were very much uh, tech oriented. Most of my friends today are engineers and software developers architects, uh, algorithm, uh, algorithm developers. So this is uh, my background. This is where I grew. Mm-hmm. Um, and my career after the army, uh, I went straight to law school. I, I, become, I, I graduated from law mm-hmm. and got my, my bar uh, license. And then um, I started my, my legal career, always uh, with companies or with law firms that are uh, high tech involved. Um, meaning, you know, uh, uh, creating the, the legal framework for uh, entrepreneurs to put up their company when they're just starting or mm-hmm. creating a contract for software companies, the EOLAs that nobody reads or the license contracts, uh, you know, when you, when you license the software. Yeah. Um, and then after six years as a lawyer, I, de- I decided that it's great to be a lawyer, but uh, with an, a small analogy, I will say it's like being the, the rabbi or the pastor when, when a couple gets married, you know, you are, you're just saying the last couple of words and I agree, agree, all right, you're now married. Uh, I wanted to be uh, uh, the couple themselves, someone, somebody on the, cu- on the couple's side uh, to see the beginning when you first date, when you, when you first pick up, uh, you know, uh, somebody on a date or go out with uh, you get in, involved, you get to learn each other, you get uh, in love with each other. And that's, um, uh, uh, somebody told me, why don't you try uh, going to the venture capital world? Mm-hmm. Do you and, know, uh, uh, do you know Jack Levy from More Ventures? Yes, of course. Okay. Of course. Yeah, he's, uh, Actually, he was had on, a call with him a few weeks. Yeah. That's hilarious. He was on my show, uh, mm-hmm. like a few, maybe about, about a month ago. Cause, um, one of, one of the students in my program, uh, we also have a venture training program as well. Uh, so one of the students is what was from Israel. Um, mm-hmm. and he introduced me to a handful of ECs, um, in Israel. So yeah, Jack was uh, amazing. He's from New York, he, but I remembered him because he was a lawyer as well. So I thought that's mm-hmm. an interesting parallel. 
maybe yeah. you can tell me what, you know, obviously legal fees, you can maybe save some money, you know, but, um, but what are the other superpowers that you think, you know, you and Jack have as being a lawyer, as a background? Because I was an engineer, so obviously I yeah. have some tech background, but I think there's also some really great superpowers um, being a lawyer and then, and then transitioning yeah. into VC. So I think maybe the, the one thing I would say that gives you an advantage if you want a lawyer going into VC is that you develop a, a sort of a, you become very cynical as yeah. a venture capital, as a lawyer, okay? Uh, people, um, you know, especially if, you do, if you're a commercial lawyer, so you do due diligence and you go into the, the details and you have to study a new area of the law or, or a new area of, of a, an industry, quite fast if you want to give uh, an opinion or if you want to represent a party in, in what, uh, whatever conflict. Uh, so you develop uh, that analytical capabilities, you develop mm -hmm. uh, that very OCD approach where yeah. everything has to be filed. If you look at my Gmail, it's crazy. It's like all uh, uh, subcategories of subcategories and everything is, is filed. I never lose anything. Everything I do is written. So I have a very clear track of everything that is being said or uh, and I think it, as a VC, so that that uh, when you start as an analyst, at least in in the uh, you know food chain of uh, of being a, a, a venture capitalist, uh, coming from a, a legal background is very uh, helpful for you because you need to go and uh, analyze a new industry, a new company, and their competitive landscape. Uh, who the, who did when, where how much were others raising and stuff like that. Uh, and the cynicism, because you will sit with thousands of entrepreneurs, especially here in Israel, where such a crazy ecosystem. And, you know, some of them are, are amazing, but a lot of them are uh, doing stuff that, you know, you, you need to, to be very, uh, uh, how do you say, uh, to the point and really understand what they're trying to sell because everybody sells something. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, they, they are selling a vision, right? Yeah. And you invest mainly in a vision as a venture capitalist. Uh, so you have to be uh, very uh, uh, cynical about it. And the ones that uh, carry the weight and, and can convince you and can build you a, a a story that is, that is believable for you, then... These are probably the ones you will end up investing in, of course, after you've done your due diligence. Um, so I think those are like superpowers that lawyers have in them uh, inherently. Yeah. Law lawyers that find their ways to VC, I think, are different kind of lawyers because they were sick of being assholes when they were lawyers. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I think uh, it's kind of like a different kind of mentality that they went into venture capital. And from my understanding, you don't necessarily always save money on legal fees because you probably need other special lawyers to like form a fund or maybe another special expert in IP, right? Mm -hmm. Or or could you, do you think some people could be like a jack of all trades, but I'm assuming not, but you, you know more than me. So uh, I think uh, when, when you, you can't do both, right? Yeah. If you're a venture capitalist, you're a venture capitalist, you think like a venture capitalist. Sure. Going back to, to that a thought process of being a lawyer mm -hmm. and that work you you will not be good enough in it if you try to yeah. do it for your own fund or for your investors or when you do diligence a company so you better uh you better spend the legal fees 
yes, you might get discount because it's all an ecosystem that you know, you know the other lawyers, you know the other partners in other firms that you've worked with, so they might give you, uh, you know, discounts, uh, but you are managing other people's money. The sure. investors that gave you trust with the money, you have to make sure that, um, you know, you do the utmost research before you deploy it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, you know, if you are true to yourself and you say, okay, I've been out of the legal game for the last four years, from, in my example, so I, I, I don't do that legal due diligence as well as I have in, in the past. I don't even have the tools. I don't have yeah. Nexus, Lexus. Uh, I have PitchBook. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, so you, you better be true to yourself and, and not save where, where you're going to end up, you know, yeah. losing stuff. That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't I didn't realize that, but that's a that's a really helpful point to know. It's like once you're once you're VC, you need to be all in, and you can't wear too many hats because it might it might even cloud your judgment, right? If you're if you're too cynical, right? I feel like sometimes if you're way way too cynical, sometimes you may not be able to bet on a founder um, based on your instincts because you're like, man, this person's gonna fail. <laughs> like the yeah. first day you see him, like ah, he's not gonna he's not gonna be successful. Um, so I feel like you probably had to change a little of that to maybe bet on founders. I don't know if you guys do very early um, or more growth, but you know, as you know, in the early stage, you know, they don't have any financials. You're really betting on um, their, their, the team and the execution and their ability to, um, to do well. I think there's things that you can do to de-risk the investment, um, you know, but I -hmm. think in the early stage, you know, you, you have to, at some point, you know, maybe, you know, and you probably went through that journey, right? Kind of like, hey, it's like, yeah. you can't always be the lawyer, but also have to maybe bet on this person. But maybe you can walk me through that. Like, what, what is it that helps you um, pick winners? And uh, what is it as far as the founders that you think are going to be successful? What are some of the uh, traits that you've seen? So I think to your, your first point, it's most cynicism towards the idea. Okay. Okay, um, got it. Rather, yep. rather than the people, you know. Sure. Uh, Especially when you do early stage investing, you always kind of invest in the team. You look yeah. them in the in the in the eye, mm-hmm. and you try to gauge: Do I believe that they can execute what they are planning on? Uh, would they be able to convince the corporates if they are B two B, or would they be able to do the right marketing plays if they are if they are B two C or D two C? You are you need to kind of review the idea, kind of. Be cynical to okay. Are they really first to market? Is it yeah. really such a pain? You know, th- those are the things you need to be cynical. Yeah. Um, the people, you know, it's. Uh, I think that those are things that it's very hard to uh, quanti- quantify. Yeah. Uh, in the end of the day, it's a lot of how you uh, get connected with a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can find an entrepreneur that you are. You hit the same level, and you and you mm-hmm. you really really like. You want to work with them, and then uh, you will find an entrepreneur that you can't stand. One, you know, both of them can be very very successful, and others yeah. can invest because they fit their type, which is okay. Because mm-hmm. luckily in Israel, there's so much deal flow and so much great companies to invest in, and you should never invest, I think, in an entrepreneur that you cannot, you don't really think that you can work with. Yeah. Especially when you invest in early stage, you will be involved. That's a good clarification too. I think thanks for clarifying that on the cynicism because I think you can be as cynical as you want with the idea, but I think if the right founder um, comes along, they can give you the right answers to address all those cynicisms, right? Because you you may be super cynical, but then maybe the founder is like, hey, you know what? I know you're worried about that, but hey, we got the right team and we can execute and actually address all those concerns. And um, if you have the wrong founder, they just won't 
you know, they won't have a solution for your, um, for your questioning. Um, and then yeah. I think that's an easy filter right there. So I think that's a good clarification to be super cynical still, no matter what, with the idea. Um, but then with the founder, you know, give them a chance to, to address your, your cynicism. So that's a good point. And what are you guys focused on? What kind of um, sectors are you looking at? So uh, I would say something that not a lot of people like uh, hearing, but we are very sector agnostic. Okay, great. Um, however, we do invest in stuff in companies that are very deep tech driven. Sure. Uh, so for us, it's important to see what is the level of technology being deployed mm -hmm. into an idea. All right. Yeah. Um, you can have something that looks, uh, yeah, let's take an example of Lemonade, right? Great company. Mm -hmm. We all know them though. Uh, everybody knows about them right now, but think about it. What they did is, is take an industry like the insurance and make it very, very accessible to, to the younger generations that want to work with that. Um, but in their core, they, they are super uh, data driven. Uh, they take the data that they get and they leverage on it and they uh, do an amazing work by that. Um, so here is an example of, of a company going into a kind of traditional industry, uh, uh, digitizing it in a way, revolutionizing it and mm -hmm. using very deep technology in the core uh, to give it a, a, the competitive edge. So it doesn't always have to be startups that are producing the next semiconductor or the next uh, silicon, uh, 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 you know, uh, smart chip or uh, whatever um, to, to run, uh, uh, to be uh, the strongest chip in the market. But it can be stuff that, that are very easily digestible. But when you pop the hood and you look at it, the, in, in, the, in, the, in, in the hood, they have amazing technology and amazing know-how and amazing uh, algorithms that they deploy. So um, in general, that's what we do. That's what, what, where we look at. So yeah. uh, for example, uh, the, the alternative protein space, uh, the mm -hmm. food technologies, um, you know, you have uh, products that are uh, basically uh, innovative uh, recipes. And then you have uh, products that are, you know, like cultivating uh, fish meat in a lab. Right. Yep. That's crazy. That's like sci-fi. That's something you, you read in yeah. a, in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? Yeah. Uh, and that vision is is super super techno technological, um, and we we can invest in a thing like that, and we can invest in a thing uh, that is uh, you know taking technology to the e-gaming world, to the esports mm -hmm. world. So for us, it's more about the technology and rather than the, the sector itself. Sure. Yeah. I, we also look at deep tech. Um, so I invested in a uh, lab grown meats fish company, uh, Finless Which Foods. One? Finless Foods. Oh, I, was so I invested in Blue Nalu when I was in our crowd. Oh, nice. Great. And then uh, there's, <laughs> there's a company now that I'm looking at. Um, I always talk about this, but they're, they're uh, growing lobster in the lab. So I can, I can introduce cool. you to those guys. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, I, I definitely have a huge interest in food tech as well. Uh, where do you think the market is heading for lab grown fish. You know, part of my thoughts are it's still a little far away, um, but I could be wrong. You know, I think they're still getting out to market and there's gonna be prototypes next year, but what are some high level trends that you think are gonna happen for maybe the future of food? And then how is that gonna impact kind of the plant-based market? Um, you know, we, we can talk about what we see from uh, uh, 
World Health Organization, mm -hmm. all those reports and where they think that the, that the world of meat will be in 2050. I think you know yeah. that graph where it says like 30% will be a, a lab cultivated meat, it can be red mm -hmm. meat, fish. Um, for example, I really believe in, in the, in the lab-grown fish or seafood uh, alternatives. Yeah. Uh, and why is that? It's because that today uh, seafood is, uh, is kind of problematic. You know, um, mm -hmm. the oceans are, are overfished. Uh, there's a lot of uh, metals found in, in, uh, in the fish itself. There's uh, microplastics. There's so many problems. My wife was pregnant uh, last year. She gave birth in, a, in a March. But, you know, we couldn't eat sushi. Because yeah. sushi is problematic for a pregnant woman. Uh, but if you take the vision of uh, companies like Finless and Blue Nalu, then their meat that they will produce in, in the factories are safe to eat by everybody. Mm -hmm. And they can reach, at least on paper, and, and not on paper, but on the plans that they have and the scale that they're showing, uh, with time and with budgets and with, uh, you know, uh, just give them the time, they can feed a, a Los Angeles uh, sized city but with yeah. one factory so you can uh, feed more people with the protein which is cleaner better smells the same tastes the mm -hmm. same acts the same when you cook it uh, and i think the when you look at what's happening on on the trends of the consumer spending i think that it all also goes there i think consumers are looking for the healthier uh, alternative i think they are looking for the more sustainable alternatives you know alternatives that are good yeah. for the ecosystem um and as and a few years ago i think like 10 years ago that you started looking at tuna cans to see that the dolphins are not being hurt while you know in the process of the uh, of fishing the tuna right sure. like this symbol that they put on the can so you read or pay a premium for a for a canned tuna to know that it doesn't hurt dolphins in the process mm -hmm. so i'm sure that the, uh, the, the 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 same clientele and the same uh, customers will be willing to pay a premium for a lab-grown meat yeah. now that they know it's cleaner, they know it's safer for the environment, they know it doesn't hurt the oceans. It's, you know, there's not even a question of humane because no fish is hurt in the process. So mm -hmm. um, I think uh, this is really where the future is going. And if you take me as the geek that I am, then, you know, for the future of mankind, if we want to I don't know if you relate or not to the, to the future of uh, us going and, and to Mars or whatever. So we have to find a technology to create, yeah. uh, um, you know, food in labs and in, in yeah. closed environments. So and, and no even one... though you and I, even though you and I classify this as deep tech, right? Because you're using a bioreactor to grow the, the the food. I would also maybe look at it as an impact investment too, like a sustainability. Uh, impact category too. So Most um, definitely. some yeah. of these deals that we look at, and you probably agree, they kind of blend between a couple different sectors, right? If you do B2B, sometimes they also have a consumer app as well. So then it's B2B mm -hmm. to B2C and same thing. Some of the deep tech companies, you know, if they can help the environment, it's like bleeding uh, on the edge of, um, of impact or sustainability too. So it's great when you can do both, right? You can invest and hopefully get some upside um, you know, long-term as, as a venture investment, but then also if you can provide some positive impact, that's, um, that's always great. So. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, and, and we see that uh, it speaks very loud when you look at the red meat alternatives, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when, when you see Memphis meats, Memphis and other farms in Israel and uh, redefined meat and all those companies, uh, you look at them and you say, okay, 18% of the emissions 
that hurt the planet, that created the gas, uh, I forgot the name of it, never mind. Um, it comes from farming animals, right? From, the, from all the process. And, and there's a huge, like, I think two thirds of the agricultural land, uh, land in the world is used to grow food to feed the food that we are eating. The cows, mm -hmm. the, the pork, the chickens, and and it's just utterly unsustainable, right? The world is growing yeah. in rapid pace. People are not gonna, you know, at least in in the in the in all research that we are uh, uh, reading, you you don't have nobody ever says, okay, the population of the earth is gonna decline. It's only yeah. gonna go up. Sure. And and developing countries are gonna eat more protein. Mm -hmm. You know, countries that are going on the, upping the ecosystem, not the eco, but the socio-economical uh, uh, levels, uh, they will eat more protein. So you need to give them the protein. You can't do it with yeah. animals anymore. Sure. And what else are you excited about with deep tech? You know, because we've looked at space. We looked, we've looked at quantum. I haven't done a quantum investment yet, um, but, you know, we've looked at space. Um, there's like a SpaceX of India that we're looking at now. Um, so I don't cool. know if you've gone, if you've gone that deep. Um, or kind of looked at some other sectors in deep tech. What, do you, what, what are you excited about? Um, I, I think what I'm very excited these days are everything data. Mm -hmm. um, my last investment when I was in our crowd was data loop. Um, sure. So, you know, if our, our world is definitely going to be a more uh, AI and machine learning capable world. And people forget that for, to enable that, it's not only that you need great algorithms, but you need the data to train them on. Yeah. So, and, and that data can be, you know, a video, text, pictures, whatever. Um, and it can be also PII, you know, private information that, mm -hmm. you know, credit card companies have on us, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so how do you synthesize that data to create, um, you know, data that is more anonymous, but still carries the true value of the data and nothing gets lost. So the algorithms are accurate. Um, so I think building the infrastructure for a machine learn AI driven future, I think that's very, very important. So I'm, I'm really focusing there. I know it sounds boring, but I think it's cool. Yeah. Um, so that is something that we are very much looking at. Uh, we are looking at uh, So there's a, there was there's a company that we are looking at right now that is developing a um, I would say an AI engine to train you to be a better uh, gamer, video okay. gamer. So um, I think that that is cool. It takes a lot. You know, it's not very easy when you think about mm -hmm. it. Okay, so how do you know what I suck at, right? You need to understand the the engine and the game engine, the game's engine while I play. Take the insights from it uh, yeah. and put it into uh, um, an engine that I don't said, okay, this is the, these are the insights that we have to work on and how do you mm -hmm. train me? So how do you build a plan for me? So there's a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, technology going in here, but there is definitely, I think, uh, a future for that industry, especially as we see, you know, gamers getting uh, scholarships for Ivy League schools yeah. so they can, can play esports, which is amazing, you know? Um, so I think that that is uh, something very uh, cool that we are looking at. Um, 
Yeah. I, I so that's so I didn't know about that. So you're saying if you win like in uh, a gaming competition, then one of the awards is getting like a full college scholarship. No, uh, today if you if you, I mean uh, the the competitions that they have today are, are prize bearing, so you can yeah. win a lot of money. Which sure, is amazing. Yeah, it's in the millions, I think. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, all those game game publishers they have. They take a percentage of their income and then mm -hmm. they put it back into the ecosystem as prizes, which is a yeah. lot of money. But uh, today, if you, um, you know, if you, I think NYU, Berkeley, Harvard, they have scholarships for esports athletes. Um, and there are teams worldwide that sell merchandise and, and you know, uh, they are kind of like the Manchester United, but of their world. And, yeah. and maybe they even have a bigger following. I don't know. I haven't looked at the numbers, but just think about it. The, the, the scalability of it is yeah. crazy. I mean, I enjoy looking at video games. Uh, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not even in the, in, the, in the age category anymore, but uh, I enjoy it. Um, so, and I think just as you have uh, tools to uh, train a better cyclist, train a better basketball player, better football player, once the, those sports become professional, there's yeah. a lot of money involved, sure. then it's obvious that you will have mm -hmm. to have a tool that somehow uh, trains a person to be a better at, at their sport. And now it's mm -hmm. esports, So that is amazing. Um, that is really it, cool. But it also carries on. It's like a, there's a, a, a lagging effect to it. Once like gaming goes stronger and stronger, so streaming has to be stronger. So mm -hmm. uh, engines, the, the GPUs have to be stronger. Now those GPUs yeah. then go into autonomous vehicles. So it's like it's kind of like a, a loop of a lot of things making completing each other. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that that is a very very cool industry that I'm very excited about. Right yeah. Now. What's interesting too is you know you talk about some of these algorithms transferring to other uh, applications, you know, and then that's when you get into the edge computing, right? So you can even put eventually um, a computer that on the device it trains a model um, manually on the device without a without the internet. And they have that now, I think, in elevators. So the elevators, when they go up and down, they can kind of train to be more efficient with people. And a mm -hmm. lot of times, uh, mm -hmm. one thing that I learned is um, the edge computing, and correct me if I'm wrong, you might have a little more knowledge, but the edge computing, a lot of times you can just compute onto a small microprocessor um, onto a device. And it can even extend to like the, the mobile phone or, or another device. Um, so you don't always have to leverage kind of one system. Um, to do the calculations. And especially when you can run algorithms offline, um, that's really powerful. But I'm not sure if you have any other trends or insights on just kind of edge computing or, or where you think it's heading. I mean, uh, we, an investment I've done when I was in Arcad was a uh, Boardman 17. So they do exactly what you said. Okay, got uh, it. Deep learning on the edge devices. Yeah. Uh, they take them on the, into the uh, you know, the CPUs of the phones of mm -hmm. the... And they can do it without uh, internet too, right? A lot of yes, times. That, yeah. That's exactly what is very yeah. interesting about them yeah. is like, th think about uh, when you when you drive the, the future of the cars, right? Yeah. The future car and you go into a tunnel, then you lose con connectivity. Yeah, but absolutely. If, 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 some, if something jumps in front of your car while you are in the tunnel, how does the, 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 the algorithms on board of the car understand in real time if it's a human being if it's a if it's a rock if it's a deal they are not connected to the cloud they cannot run the algorithms and and you know uh, drag information from, yeah. from that 
wherever the infrastructure is. Mm -hmm. So you need to make sure that those cameras that are on the edge devices, which mm -hmm. is basically the sensors that are in the front of the car or in the sides of the car, that they are uh, able to identify in real time what's happening uh, in front of them. So, mm -hmm. so this is cool. This is a uh, very interesting. Um, yeah. And then you take them to, uh, you know, stupid cameras, not, not smart cameras, but you know, the CCTV cameras, uh, which are very off the shelf, right? And and yeah. then you take you take it into mobile phones. So mobile phones have strong processors, but how do you take it to the cameras, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, real yeah. estate on a smartphone is very expensive. You want every bit of real estate to increase the computing power. Um, so however, you have a sensor, you have a camera that is just grabbing real estate. So how can you make it smarter? Yeah. Um, so definitely edge computing is very, very, very interesting mm -hmm. these days, uh, especially as we are going to a more connected future. Think about, you know, firefighters need to go and go up a, a commercial real estate building mm -hmm. and they have to trust on connectivity somehow, somehow, like send a robot or something to see if there's somebody in a fire. And that robot that has a camera, they cannot rely on, on, on internet within the building. So yeah. it has to understand if it's seeing a person, if it's seeing a shadow of a person. So lots of use cases and definitely edge computing and, and enabling AI, deep learning, machine mm -hmm. learning, uh, pattern understanding is, uh, is super important right now. Sure. And what, maybe you can tell me a little more in the audience, a little more about just Israel and the ecosystem and uh, some of the trends that you're seeing with some of the VC investments. And uh, if, if you have a slide, that's great. If not, we can, uh, we can freestyle it. But just in general, the ecosystem, I know Jack is focused on clean tech. Um, so that was kind of interesting to learn from him. And, and, and you're a generalist. Um, I know there's a big booming cybersecurity ecosystem in yeah. Israel. Has that changed? And are a lot of people becoming generalists now, like yourself? Or are there still sector focused people that are like, hey, I'm only doing B2B, I'm only doing data? Um, or are more people turning into kind of like yourself, where uh, they're becoming generalists to take advantage of all different types of opportunities? Yeah, so uh, in Israel, we see both. Uh, you have to remember, although a very small country on the map, uh, there's a huge ecosystem of innovation and mm -hmm. startups here. Um, what's really interesting is, uh, you know, there are uh, sector oriented funds and then there are a, a stage a oriented funds. So sure. some do only growth and some do on, only early stage. We are, for example, an early stage fund. Now, what yeah. does it mean? As an early stage investor, it is very, 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 very hard to be sector oriented. And, and why is that? It's because the technology is an ever changing uh, dynamic. Mm -hmm. uh, if if uh, in 2019, uh, Alternative 14 was very, very hot, you saw new innovations. It was uh, early enough to go and invest in Blue Nalu, Alephans, yeah. uh, you know, those common companies. Now it yeah. isn't. Sure. Now there are, there are no early stage opportunities. I mean, there are, but uh, there are less of them. So yeah. if you were a, a, a vertically oriented a fund doing early stage uh, alternative protein uh, in, in innovations, then today you have less to play with. Yeah. Um, so in our, uh, uh, how do you say, in our thesis, because we are early stage, because we want to be the second money that the investor sees after he went to his friends and family. Uh, I, I'm sorry, the founder gets after he went to his friends and family. 
then we we have to be agnostic because uh, now there are industry trends that are like I spoke about esports and and I can tell you a lot about uh, small medium businesses and technologies for them. Uh, you know, there's a lot of work from home technology right now, and you have to move fast and, and act on that. Yeah, those things are probably uh, going to be. The winners have, will be already in their A and B rounds in a year mm. or two from now. So sure. if you're an early stage fund, you always have to be to have fingers on the pulse and understand, okay, what is going to get hot soon? Yeah. What is the next trend? You always have to be ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is kind of like the, how I think about it. And I think uh, colleagues that I have in other early stage funds, they are all also in that kind of thinking, uh, mm-hmm. always trying to understand, okay, what is the next thing and what is the next innovation that we can uh, uh, be at? And you have to remember that we are not the smartest people around the table. We are at the end of the day, financiers. Uh, we understand uh, structuring a deal and we understand, you know, stuff like that. But if, if we are the smartest people around, you know, um, scaffolds and mediums for, for, for culturing meat, no, we aren't. So we're gonna mm-hmm. get somebody who knows that to help us in the due diligence. And we're gonna cross that with uh, people in multinational corporations that are gonna be the, the buy side for those kind of technologies and products at the end of the day, that, that is our job. So it's kind of uh, easy, not easy, but it's kind of, uh, when you think about what is the role of, the, of a VC, the role of a VC is to understand where is the next opportunity and to quickly gauge it uh, with every tool that they have in order to understand if they have a winner or not. Once you do enough deals in a specific space, then you kind of understand what's playing there. Um, so in Israel, I'm taking you back to, to yeah. talk about the ecosystem. Uh, there are funds that are focused only on cybersecurity because yeah. I think cybersecurity is maybe om- almost the only ecosystem that is big enough in Israel that justifies having its own fund a fund yeah. that is oriented for that. And then we have a lot of fintech, we have a lot of big data, food, blah, blah, a lot of stuff, but not enough uh, of that to justify a, a, a dedicated fund. fund. Exactly. Because yeah, I've seen, I haven't seen a lot of cybersecurity focused funds in, uh, in the US. There's one or two that I'm familiar with in DC. Um, and that makes mm-hmm. sense because they're um, obviously the NSA. Yeah, that's the government. And, you know, over yeah, so um, so that's a good point. You know, you guys have that sector expertise. Um, so that yep. makes sense. And I guess, you know, I think one good thing that's educational, I have my, my own opinion, but what do you think are the pros and cons with being um, generalist versus uh, sector focused? Um, so definitely the pro, okay, so it starts from the whole, lifespan of, mm-hmm. of, of a VC, right? Yeah. If you are a uh, venture capital now raising your funds, okay, and you are sector oriented and now your sector is hot, then it will be easier maybe for you to, to, to go and raise the capital that you need to invest Yeah. Uh, because it is a hot market. You have the, the market uh, specialty. Uh, you have the professional, you know everything about it. So you, mm-hmm. you, can, you can fly that flag. Um, so that is one thing. Uh, when you are agnostic, it is very hard to raise your first fund uh, because you know uh, people will say, okay, so why should we give you the money and not somebody else who's agnostic? You, and then you have to justify them choosing you from a different angle, right? Sure. Do I have access to great 
deal flow? Do I uh, know enough, you know, entrepreneurs and multinational corporations to connect them to, et cetera, et cetera? And do I have a good hunch? Do I have a good mm-hmm. um, uh, diligence process and stuff like that? Uh, yeah. I think I think uh, uh, when you do go and um, and and later f- have your fund running and you're uh, a sector agnostic, uh, I'm sorry, a sector oriented fund, then you will it will be kind of not easier, but it will be more natural for you to get the deal flow in that specific area. All right. Sure. So if you are a fund, uh, a food tech focused fund, then the food tech entrepreneurs when they do their diligence and they uh, do their analysis on what funds to approach, they'll probably approach you uh, before anybody else. So yeah. great, you, have, you have a very proprietary deal flow uh, engine. Um, if you're agnostic, then you might not always have everything, not get uh, everything. You're not going to be the first one everybody approaches to, mm-hmm. but because of the, the rule of the big numbers, you're going to, May you you raise you raise your chances of of meeting the next unicorn that in a whole new industry you never thought about. Sure. And so um, I think there are pros and cons to both. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, I have to say that in my experience as um, as a venture capitalist for the last four years, I was in our crowd, which is the biggest investor in Israel, the biggest, mm-hmm. most active venture capital. Um, I've saw hundreds of deals in, in, in different verticals. I have took every year to focus on a specific uh, industry and to, to grow an expertise in it and, and, uh, and create a brand around it and create connections. And, but I also had the privilege to, to then go and identify, oh, that's a, company that's doing something completely not related to the investment thesis that I spent months writing on. Yeah. But, but you know, I, I think it, it is, uh, it was great to, to be able to un- identify new opportunities fast. And that's what you need as an, as, as a VC. Yeah. Um, so I think yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah. I agree with all your points. I think that's um, the pros and cons are you know, spot on. I, and I, the only reason why I ask is I just want to get your opinion because I spoke to a VC in India like a few months ago and um, he's a deep tech fund. And he said, everybody in India is mainly focusing on B2B and consumer, right? There's so many uh, people using mobile devices. So because he's the deep tech guy, um, he has to go and partner with some universities and read research papers and really understand the technology. And some of the VCs just don't want to go that deep. Um, So, you know, that provides sometimes an advantage to um, the sharp elbows, you know, you can avoid some of the sharp elbows trying to get into the deals if you're the only one that really wants to go through the trouble of doing all that research um, yeah. versus everybody that's trying to get into some B2B ad tech company or, you know, some cool mobile marketing platform, mobile yeah. mobile retargeting platform. Um, you know, those are really frothy in, in India. So I was just curious, like from yeah. your perspective in Israel, what you guys think about that. Um, and I think it's also important to uh, partner with the other stages, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think if you're early stage and you just get something that's a little too late stage, um, you can pass that along. And then same thing, vice versa, you know, the, the later stage guys are, and gals, if they get something earlier, they can pass it to you. So do you feel that's a great source of deal flow as well, just kind of partnering with other VCs versus the traditional um, demo days and, and um, you know, other sourcing methods? Thank you.
Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great, great, great question. I think there's uh, things that people maybe do not understand when, when they look at this uh, industry from the get-go or from, like, from a side. You become good at what you do in this industry because you, are, uh, you know how to play it. And uh, when it, one of what I mean is, don't be an asshole. Yeah, okay, you have absolutely. to have relationships with other VCs. You feed each other. You know, maybe there's a company that that doesn't suit you, but it will suit the other, and that's mm-hmm. fine. And and you will find with a few years in this industry that there are some VCs that you love doing business with, that you love doing deals with, and there are others that maybe you disagree too much, so you don't. Um, you know, I often see companies that I say, okay, it's not for me, but hey, let me connect you to that uh, VC friend I have in another firm. It does great service to the entrepreneurs, the entrepreneurs uh, um, appreciate it, the other VCs appreciate it, and, uh, and at the end of the day, you're going to get the good deals because somebody, you know, tipped you. Yeah. Somebody said, hey, this is really interesting. I think it's, it's down your alley. Mm-hmm. Um, very Rarely, it will be a deal that you get because you've done investment thesis and you yeah. have researched the market and went to the, you know, flew to Vegas to a show <laughs> or whatever. I mean, I miss shows because of Corona, but, <laughs> um, you know, it, it really, it, it is rarely the case. It's mainly, yeah. you know, being, being a player in this industry and understanding that you are here because of the entrepreneurs, okay? Yeah. They, they are not here because of you. Mm-hmm. You are here because uh, they have the courage to go and do stuff and they put their families on hold and they go and they yeah. build businesses. So you have to give back to them. And if it's connecting them with another VC or connecting them with another multinational corporation that is a friend of yours, then, then that's, that's the way it needs to be done. It's yeah. not holding the cards close to your chest. Uh, maybe, I, I don't know, maybe in other ecosystems, but in the Israeli ecosystem, that's not how you, how you will do good. So, Couldn't agree more. And I think one thing too for the audience is uh, founders talk to each other, right? So if you uh, do something that's uh, nefarious with a founder, you know they're going to tell all their friends and be like, "Hey, this VC." And I, I don't know if you've heard the news, but they have that VC review site now, so yeah. founders can anonymously write reviews about the good, you know, which VCs are good ones and yeah. which ones were not bad. And you know what I think is interesting too is the VCs have a chance to respond, so they can say their side of the story. Which I think is, um, which I think is fair. You know, I think it's good to have everybody accountable. Um, but yeah, I think that I totally agree with that. I think relationships are everything. I think some of my best deals were either from a founder or another VC. Um, yeah. And you know, even if we found a deal on our own, we spent some time with the VC to kind of understand uh, what got them excited about that deal. So yeah. couldn't agree more. Um, I so think, I think there's also there's the the other end of it is when you pass on a company that yeah. is the hardest thing in the world for me to do. Yeah. I hate passing on companies. Mm-hmm. The reality is that you will pass on 99% of them and yeah. it is what it is. But, you know, and I, I have to admit that sometimes it's my scene where I, I take longer than I would have wanted to pass on a company because I, 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 I just want to diligence it enough before I yeah. say the why not. And, and when I write a pass email or when I, when I have a call with a founder, I will try mm-hmm. to give them my perspective so they can maybe, you know, go and, and learn it and then use it for, yeah. the, for the good. Maybe they will be upset with me, but at least I, I, I wasn't just, you know, 
how do you say, uh, gave them just like a template answer. I think yeah, it's, sure. it's rude and disrespectful. Um, and there's, there's no entrepreneur that I would not sit with. And that's, uh, yeah. you know, I wouldn't tell somebody, ah, oh, you're too early or too late. I would love to sit with everybody. If it's, if it's a fit, it's a fit. And if not, mm -hmm. then I would, I would try to think how I can, you know, connect them to somebody and why not? If they, yeah. if they succeed, we succeed. So sure. No, absolutely. And it's, it's a small world. And, um, what I would say, and you probably agree with this too, is just always keep the door open because even if you pass on a founder, maybe, you know, eight months from now, they may have, you know, made some breakthrough, big breakthrough progress and the timing is better later. Um, there was a company that I passed on a while back and, um, I ended up seeing him at my daycare, at my son's daycare. So his daughter, his daughter and my son ended up going to the same daycare, right? So oh, it's just, cool. you never know, like I, I would say too, when I, you know, you never know how someone is going to come back into your life and you never yeah. know. And, and I'm always paranoid that they might be my boss one day, who knows, you know, maybe <laughs> a young kid that I mentor, maybe later down the line, they may be an LP, you know? So I always yeah. believe yeah. like, you never know how they're going to come back into the life. So I just try to be nice to everybody. And not only because of that, but I just, in general, like the universe works itself out. So I think if you're trying, if you're just in general, not a jerk and um, you try to be valuable to other people, I think it'll, you know, the universe somehow works itself out. So definitely. Um, well, Hey, you, you added a lot of life lessons here along with just best practices for VC. Uh, I think we have maybe one or two people in, I think there's one person in the room. If they have any questions, uh, feel free to send a chat. And uh, what I always do is at the end, I ask for each speaker to maybe share one lesson that we can take back with us, any piece of advice, maybe something you got from a mentor or just reflecting on your career, any advice you have. Um, that would be great um, if you have any. If not, no worries. So, you know, like I, I think we said a lot of it, like what are, yeah. what are my, uh, how do you say, um, Credo, right? Is that how you say? Credo? Yeah, credo. Yeah, but, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. But I think you you touched it very briefly. I don't think if you noticed, but mentoring. Yeah. I think I want to say a few. Maybe mentoring is the most important thing you can do in our in our uh, ecosystem. Uh, I'm very lucky that I I was able to mentor others uh, and to give them a you know uh, entrepreneur not entrepreneur uh, internship. Yeah. A, internship, a, a internship. And some of them went and became VCs themselves. And it's so mm -hmm. amazing to see it. Uh, it's rewarding. You know, I was once uh, an, an intern from somebody. Um, so I think that, that that is something that is super important in our world. Yeah. You know, you can, you can mentor uh, uh, somebody who wants to be a VC or you can mentor somebody who wants to be uh, a stronger entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. um, you don't, for me, it's very hard to look at myself and say, okay, this is what I can teach, right? And like pinpoint, okay, like this is what I can do for you. But, you know, I think people would really appreciate when you give back to the community. So yeah. um, I think that that's about what I want to say, like mentor people mm -hmm. and, and, and help them grow. You never know where you're going to meet them. And, you know, it's do good, right? If you yeah. do good in the world, 
then the world will do good for you. Yeah. And I'll say one more thing with mentoring. I think it, you know, a lot of times we think that mentors are somebody that's maybe 10 years older than you, right. Or someone mm -hmm. that's like a seasoned VC, right. For you and I, it's like, Hey, we look up to Sequoia capital or someone that's been a VC for 20 years or something. Right. But you know, it's crazy. It's like, you can learn from people that are like 10 years younger than you too. Cause oh, if yeah. you don't learn, cause if you don't learn from those younger people, you're going to just be an old uh, soul, you know, and you're going to be like yeah. blind to like the modern ways to look at things. So Definitely. I think they call that reverse mentoring where you got to learn from the younger generation because they may be able to do something much more efficient. I have an intern and um, he's helping me with something. He's like, Joel, like this is like 10 steps. I can, mm -hmm. you, why don't you just cut and paste? We're doing something with like a blog and I'm like cutting and pasting the whole blog and putting in like other things. And he's like, Joel, you can just import into the RSS feed. And it's like one step, you know? And I'm like, Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So you gotta, you have to be open to that too. Like just learning from the younger generation because they know all the latest tools and tricks that we well, may sure. just not have time to work on, you know? So you learn a lot from there too. So, I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, uh, after all, it's their world. I mean, yeah. we are, you know, they, they are going to outlast us and they know every cool new stuff and new anything. So uh, definitely, I yeah. definitely share what you just said. Um, you know, not, don't be a snob and open up and, and work with the younger people. They are amazing. Sure. Um, yeah, I think there's a cool question here. Do you have any life lessons to share from past failures? Oh, wow. You want to hit it? Uh, me? <laughs> yeah. um, I think for me, um, oh, wow, I wasn't ready for that one. I thought I just had to ask questions, but um, okay, so past failures, <laughs> let me see. Um, I mean, there's a lot, you know, I think, uh, let me see here. This is a tough one. I wasn't ready for this. So past failures, um, I'd say, uh, you know, I, I'd say a big thing is really not taking a chance. Um, so a lot of times, I missed out on opportunity maybe because I was afraid and I wanted to do the stable path. And um, I think if I took, um, I took a risk, you know, I think I would have had more opportunities and, and I ended up taking, so here's a, here's a lesson I, I would say. So I ended up joining a company because of the money um, because I felt when I was younger, that I should be making a certain level of income, right? You're kind of comparing yourself to your peers. Yeah. Um, I'm from India, so obviously our, my parents are like, hey, you know, how come you're not, you know, doing this? You know, this person's mm -hmm. son is doing that. So it's kind of like, you know, it's, sometimes it's tied up with your upbringing, but I was like, hey, you know, I need to be making this income level, at, you know, because I'm this age, right? And I was so kind of stuck on that. And then I ended up taking a job because the pay was more what I thought it should be, but I just wasn't really happy. Um, so I think, when you can find an opportunity where maybe you don't get paid as much as you want, um, but you're doing what you love, I think the money will come uh, uh, over time. And I think for me, the money did come over time, but I did fail at that job. I ended up, you know, they, they let me go, you know, cause it wasn't a good fit. Um, and yeah. it was because truly because my heart wasn't in it. I was too obsessed with the money. So I think um, that was a failure based on chasing money. And I think you mature over the, over your years to not be so enamored with money and just really be focused on happiness. And I think if you're, I think you got a little one at home now. Um, I got a little one too. So the time is much more valuable a lot of times. Like now when I look at things, I'm like, if I can't do this, if I do this thing, then I may have to step away from my family. Um, so I think, um, I think just general things, I failed focusing too much on money. Um, yeah. instead of kind of investing in the maybe opportunities that pay less that set me up in the right direction. Um, so I hope that was think, a good answer. I think what you said, I mean, to the audience, it's such a huge, huge lesson.
we need to learn. I mean, you, a lot of times we, we compare ourselves to others, yeah. right? And we forget that uh, life is like, a, like kind of like a big keg, right? So somebody will open it up and then they have honey. And so they will eat through the honey and, and, and then they'll get to, to, the, to the reality of life, which is a lot of it is shit and yeah. we have to face uh, and then there are others that will open their keg and, and the keg that they got for their life and they'll, they'll find the shit floating at the top and then they'll, they'll have to, to pick through it to get to the honey at the bottom. Yeah. So you never know what somebody got or what the cards they have, what is their path of life. So comparing yourself to others is just a recipe to be, yeah. uh, you know, to be, I don't know if weak, but fatigued maybe. Yeah. Because you're kind of in a race that, I mean, honestly, nobody knows where, what, what is the next turn that you will have to take in, in your personal life race. So that is a great lesson I think you gave to other people right now. Um, from my experience, I think maybe the, the, the one thing I want to say is, you know, trust your gut. I, you know, as VCs who are used to be very analytical and look at the facts and research and everything, we, we forget a lot of the times that, you know, we have a thing called gut feeling mm -hmm. and we have stuff that we cannot, we cannot explain why we feel them or why we think that way. Yeah. But maybe they are kind of like a very sophisticated machine learning algorithm that gave you a result based on, you don't even know what is the data set that it, it, uh, it read and, and digested. Um, and I have made a very poor decision, a, very, a big failure for myself. And uh, it was our, our own personal money that we invested uh, because uh, I did not trust my gut. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I, I've let other things blind me. And, uh, and eventually, you know, it, it was just a very shitty investment. And from the get-go, I, I was feeling something very cloudish in, in the stomach. I was feeling yeah. like weird and I never knew why. And uh, not trusting your gut, for me, it worked very bad. So I think a lot of times when you look at a company, you look at a founder, you feel something in there and, and you don't know how, how to call it, but you know, um, if it's not that, then it's not that. So mm -hmm. maybe, yeah. Well, good advice. Um, I apologize for being a few minutes over, but Kafir, this was awesome, man. This was a great uh, deep conversation, really good uh, meeting you, building a friendship with you. And, um, Please give your partner my regards and hopefully, you know, I'll see you guys in New York or maybe Israel, you know. I can't wait. Just wherever we have to go, I'll, I'll come. Just uh, get rid of this COVID. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm here almost a, a full year without flying. I don't think it uh, happened, happened to me any sure. in my history. So uh, I miss flying. I miss seeing people, you know, yeah. interacting, socializing. So absolutely. take care. You too. Thank, thank you, you for the time. It was uh, Yeah, lovely. thank you. Yeah, we really appreciate it and um, have a good week. Thank you. Thanks a lot. You too. Take care. All right. Take care. Thank Bye. you, Joel. Bye. Bye. Bye.
like Benedict's newsletter, um, mm-hmm. 20 Minute VC, things like that that are very good to listen to as well. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Joe will let you guys know. So, yeah. yeah. Great. Awesome, man. We'll have a great weekend. Everybody else, uh, happy Friday. Take care. You too. Thanks, Joe. All right. Thanks Bye. For having See me. you later. Take care.